Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Want to make sure you never miss a Chilling Tales for Dark Nights video again? Be sure to subscribe and hit that bell to turn on notifications. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's program, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with audio adaptations of two rounds of frightening fiction about cursed crews and possessing pitches. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring the frightening fiction of Heath Pfaff and Kyle Harrison to life are voice talents Lucas Webley, Eric Peabody, Heather Ordover, Paul J. McSorley, Nick Goroff, Jonathan West, Danielle Hewitt, and Justine Anastasia. Now... Get your ticket ready, take your seat in our theater of the minds, and brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Our first tale tonight comes to us from author Heath Pfaff and is performed by Lucas Webley, Eric Peabody, Heather Ordover, Paul J. McSorley, and Nick Goroff. In it, we'll meet a field exploration and area reconnaissance team touching down on a planet called Cadius 4A. Their mission is to extract and recover anything available that the failed crew before them had left behind and to hopefully see what went wrong. But will their futures lead to the same fate once they find out exactly what that was? Without further ado, I present to you the seventh suit. 
The lights going off aboard ship is about the worst thing that can happen. It's not the dark that's the problem. No, that's upsetting in its own right. But the lights are tied to the life support system. If the lights go out entirely, that means the ship has just become a floating tomb. It should never happen. There were safeties, and safeties on top of those. It had happened to me once on a substandard freighter, but that was years and years before. When the lights went out this time, it seemed impossible. So many things would have to go wrong to knock out all the power on the ship. But there we were, drifting through the infinite void, a dark speck floating in darkness. I stepped away from the airlock, which I had been repairing. I was already suited up for my work, but I knew that others would be running to get geared up before the ship became inhospitable to life. The lights on my suit flickered to life, since I had set them for automatic activation, and my suit's bright color bounced the light down the halls, giving everything an orangish tint in my vicinity. I wasn't particularly fond of the color, but every crew member had a suit denoting their specialty aboard the ship. I was the life support tech, and I had gotten an obnoxiously bright orange suit. I thought about checking for other crew members on the suit comm, but those only worked within a certain range without the power, and it would take a few minutes for everyone to get suited up anyway. In the meantime, I pulled the manual release on the airlock shutter and closed it off. I couldn't repair the damage just then, not with the power down. Besides, I had enough knowledge that I might be of help with the electronics. I moved hastily down the hall. I spotted motion in the hall in front of me. Red. And then it was gone beyond my light before I could get a better look. Red was the medical officer. Reynard. I couldn't figure out what he'd be doing running around without his light on. He was going to end up falling down an access chute if he wasn't careful. Reynard, is that you? I called into my suit hoping he was close enough to hear me. Shit. Yes, it is. Was that you, Abel? I saw the light and it scared me. He was breathing hard and sounded flustered. Scared you? So you ran off into the dark? I asked skeptically. Turn on your lights before you kill yourself. I saw a glow light up at the second corridor down the hall and started moving that way. Let's not tell anyone I scared myself and crashed down a dark hall, eh? <laughs> Reynard laughed a bit nervously. He was fairly new to shipboard life. Reynard got scared and went running through the dark without his lights? April's voice chirped in. Oh man, I can't wait to tell everyone else. Ah, shit. Reynard sighed to punctuate his curse. To be fair, this place is terrifying in the dark. I was in my office when the lights went out, and I went right to the storage locker to grab my suit, but I thought I heard someone else in the room. By the time I'd sealed the helmet, I'd convinced myself I was about to be murdered by some denizen of the dark, and then you came down the hall with your light in my eyes. Excuses aside, we need to get to the power relay and figure out what's going on. This is a serious situation. I decided to get people focused. A light circled the corner from up ahead and I caught sight of a blue suit. April. She was the engine crew. We came together just in front of Reynard. The helmets were designed with a high-intensity photonic filter built in, which meant we could stare directly at a sun without going blind for a brief time. But it also meant there was a reflective coating over the glass that stopped us from seeing one another's faces. It was just a bit unsettling, but I was still happy to see the others. Who was on core detail? I asked as we walked together down the hall. That was April's post, 
but she couldn't man it all the time. When she was off, it was either Aaron, Pink, the cook, or Isaac, Green, general repair and maintenance. Pretty sure it's Aaron. Uh, he's training in electrical subsystems, so he should be able to get us up and running again if he remembers what I taught him. Uh, Aaron can't remember how to rehydrate eggs. Reynard commented with a sigh. April left, and even I chuckled despite my anxiety. He wasn't wrong. Aaron was good at managing the kitchen and keeping us fed, but fed and happy were two very distant concepts. Fortunately, Aaron was the type of person who anyone could talk to. The captain kept him on because everyone liked him. His food was terrible, but he was an overall net gain on crew morale. We reached the doorway to the core and April activated it. It slid to the side and she let out a scream that caused my comm speaker to whine in my ear. I wasn't even sure what was going on until April backed past me, and I got a line of sight into the room. Oh, what in the hell? Reynard's voice was a barely audible whisper, accompanied by the sound of him struggling to keep his last awful meal down. Aaron was on the ground in front of the maintenance panel. I was only sure it was Aaron because of the stupid pink suit. Otherwise, there was nothing to identify him by. Something had broken through the front of his helmet and cut him in half down to the shoulders. It had torn right through the metal coupling that attached his helmet to the rest of his suit and split his spine down the middle like a precision cutting laser, but without the scorching. I felt my head swim a bit and realized I was breathing too fast. I had to slow myself down, try to calm the panic that was threatening to rise. Maybe whatever knocked the power out did that? Some... some kind of explosion? I forced myself to some semblance of calm and then entered the engine core. The engine was still running. That was a good thing. If for some reason it had turned off, reigniting the reactor was just about impossible without a dry dock. The engines were designed to never go off. The only thing that should shut one down was a complete cooling failure, which was nearly impossible while the ship was intact. Or a reactor overload. That would cause an impressive explosion. But fortunately, we didn't have either of those problems at the moment. I leaned down and opened the cover to the control panel. There were broken components all over. The reactor wasn't pumping energy anywhere, because the unit that told it where to pump that energy was wrecked. It didn't look like it had failed catastrophically, though. There was no sign of an explosion or a short. This was physical damage. It looked like someone had reached in and smashed or cut everything they could. I looked over at Aaron again. April, do we have a spare control box? I asked and I didn't like how thin my voice sounded. You're kidding me. The whole thing? This seemed to bring her back to the moment. She came up, giving the body a wide berth. April knelt next to me and looked inside. What? How did... Th this is... She reached out and dug around amidst the broken bits. This has got to be intentional damage, right? Nothing is burnt. The relays are wrecked, but nothing flipped? What can cut through cooling rods like this? I didn't mention that it was probably the same thing that cut through Aaron. Do we have another control box we can drop in? I asked again. And I could tell a moment later that I wasn't going to love her answer. I have enough parts to fix everything, but that would take way too long. The other alternative is a spare box. I, I bought for parts a while back, but it's not meant for a ship of this size. I can maybe get the lights up? start the oxygen scrubbers going so we can reload our air tanks, but there is no way I can get heat and environmental stabilization back online. Those systems drop far too much energy. 
April delivered her bad news with a professionalism that I appreciated. Alright, let's do that. We can work on restoring more systems once we know we won't run out of air. I said, nodding my head. April's suit also nodded, which was more of a shift of the entire top half. After, we need to go and see the captain. Find out what's going on there. I added, surprised we hadn't heard from him yet. We set to work on setting up the new box. Together, it took us about six minutes, and then the emergency lights were up, and I felt a small bit more secure. As we finished, I found that everyone was looking at me expectantly, though I was no higher ranking than anyone else there. Well, I might have been higher ranking than Reynard, but only based on time spent aboard. April should probably stay here and work on getting some more repairs up, Reynard suggested. No, 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 I am not staying here by myself, she replied quickly, crossing her arms in front of her chest in an X. I don't know what happened to Aaron, but I don't feel safe alone here right now. Crew, this is Captain Valen. Thank you for getting the power up again so swiftly. I need everyone to report to the mess immediately. Please bring your station reports. The captain's voice came in loud and clear across the comms. Well, that was another system that was working now. Looks like that argument is settled for us. Lock the core room, I said, not wanting to have to figure out how to repair things if we lost the new box as well. By the time we reached the mess, most of the rest of the crew was already in place. Including the three of us, I counted eight others. Aaron was missing, but so was the captain's second-in-command, Thomas. We all took seats around the table. Captain Valen was in black. Trevino, security, was in gray. Isaac, space janitor, was in green. April, engine, was in blue. Reynard, medic, was in red. Then myself, life support. I was in orange. I could tell the captain was taking stock as we sat around the table, waiting for things to begin. There was an unhealthy silence in the group. Where's Aaron? The captain asked. He didn't ask about Thomas, which made me suspect he knew the answer to that question already. Aaron's dead, sir, Reynard replied. We found him in the core room. Dead? The captain seemed surprised. There was a pause in which no one spoke. He was cut partially in half, from the head down. I spoke up, expecting someone to ask how. Was it some kind of accident? He was in the engine room, wasn't he? Is that what put the power out? The captain followed up. It may have been, but it looks like some kind of physical attack. We found evidence of intentional damage in the power relay. We're running on a barely functional spare. That's why we don't have a breathable environment right now. We can charge the tanks in our suits, but that's about it. I laid out the details of what we found so far. Where's Thomas? The captain took a deep breath and let it out slowly. Thomas is dead. He'd gathered himself somewhat, though this news was distressing. I found him on the bridge near his quarters. He... No, he can't be dead. Isaac interrupted the captain. Apologies, sir, he quickly added. I passed Thomas on the way here. That's not possible. I saw him, and he was very, very dead. The captain insisted. He's in the doorway of his room. I... There was too much for me to clean up. He was a mess. Well, if Thomas is dead, then who is wearing brown? Isaac put forth the question that I was certain all of us were already thinking about. Those words, who is wearing brown, were enough to have me curling my knuckles into fists and contemplating jumping right the hell out of the airlock. There were eight of us aboard the ship, 
Only eight. If two of us were dead, then who was wearing the seventh suit? No, I don't know what's going on here, but I just came from my room by security. I didn't see Thomas at all. I was not that far behind Isaac that I would have missed him. It was Trevino who spoke up this time. I'm not sure what you saw, but he couldn't have been heading for security. Well, there isn't anything between your room's security and our bugs, Isaac said. So unless you're calling me a liar, it seems like you just missed him walking by. When I turned out of security, I could see your back. Unless he was flying down that hallway, there's no way I missed him. Trevino insisted. Listen, we need to stop bickering. The captain spoke loudly, and everyone went quiet. We're not getting anywhere this way. Someone had to be mistaken or confused. It doesn't matter at the moment. We are in a dangerous situation. There is some kind of threat aboard the ship, and I'm guessing we are not currently able to get out of here? He looked at April. She nodded, a slight dip of her suit's faceless glass. We can't power the navigation computers, and we don't have the power to control the engine output. I can prioritize those systems, but I'm being optimistic if I guess that we're looking at six hours of repair time. Six hours? Reynard's voice was agitated. Really? Listen, if I don't do it right, then you type in the coordinates and our ship skips into a gravity mass and we never even realize we're dead. The best laid course is useless if the ship can't turn the commands into physical actions. These are repairs that require precise work, work that would normally be done in a dry dock. April sounded irritated, but that seemed to be an echo of how everyone was feeling. All right, Isaac, Trevino, I want you two to take care of the bodies in the core and in front of Thomas's quarters. The captain began to break down tasks. They deserve that much at least. April and Abel, I want both of you working on getting our travel capabilities back up and running. Reynard, you're with me. We need to figure out the nearest dry dock and get our asses there as quick as we can, with as little power as we can. The captain paused for a moment, and I knew that this was the moment where he would normally look us each in the eyes to instill confidence, but the suits didn't really allow for that kind of meaningful exchange. Everyone, get to work. It wasn't lost on me that it split us into even groups. No one was alone, which meant that everyone should have someone to watch over their shoulder. The faltering ship was our first concern. But whoever was killing others was also a concern. What was to gain? They had put themselves in jeopardy by damaging the ship. The body with us was removed fairly quickly, leaving us to work without having that darkness sitting directly next to us. Isaac and Trevino seemed to have a good system down for things, and the process was as painless as it could be. You have the engine relay isolated yet? April's voice swept in to distract me from my thoughts and my work. I was just about done so I quickly swapped the overload switches to an isolated circuit and then nodded back at her. Engine relay is isolated and I installed the overload safety just to be on the safe side. Good thinking. April's praise was nice. She knew her work and it was a boost to my ego. All right, I'm going to bring the system back online. Keep an eye on the... April! Abel! A panicked voice came echoing down the corridor followed by the sound of running footsteps. A gray suit rounded the corner and came through the door. Isaac's dead. We split up. See, he's run a cart. It's my fault. I, I told him it would be safe, but he was running a full cart back to the disposal unit, and he didn't come back, so I went to check on him. It, it tore him in half at the middle. Just ripped him in two. What? April and I both said the word together. How could you split up? The captain's orders were clear. Trevino, I thought, should know better than to break orders, especially in a crisis. 
It was about five minutes. It was a huge mess, and this was speeding things up. I, I didn't think anything would happen in such a short time, and I figured we could be off the grim detail faster this way. Trevino. Come on, Abel. April, we've flown together a long time. You know I wouldn't hurt Isaac. Why didn't you call the captain? April asked, and I thought she sounded a bit suspicious as well. I tried, but the captain didn't answer me. I came looking for you two because you were the closest to where I was on the ship, and I figured there was safety in numbers. Trevino looked back and forth between us, though it was impossible to read the reflective glass of his suit. I sighed inside my helmet. Captain, do you read? I called across the ship's comm. I waited, and there was no answer. Trevino shrugged. See? Nothing. Ship, check in. Anyone seen the captain? I broadcast all channels. Here with you. April chimed in. Also here. Trevino added. I hardly needed their replies, but I had asked the whole ship. The comm was quiet besides a small bit of feedback for a second. Maybe something's wrong with the comms again. April offered. Shit. One of us needs to go find the captain. I couldn't think of a better idea. The silence on the ship was making me uneasy. I can't go now. April answered quickly. If I leave this project where it is now, it will be much more difficult to get back in and get things repaired. I can't leave you here alone. I looked over at Trevino. I didn't trust him. Oh, I see. Trevino sounded a bit angry. I'm now a risk because of what happened to Isaac. We have no other witnesses, Trevino. We have to assume the worst. I stated it plainly, but in a tone that I hoped told him I didn't want to argue about the matter. He shrugged his reply. I'll go. Trevino, you're going to be stationed at the door. April, lock the door from the inside, and don't let anyone in. No one. Just get things fixed. I walked across the room and picked up a piece of metal piping that had been part of the guardrail we'd taken down to work on some of the trickier-to-reach systems. Let's go. I waved for Trevino, indicating he should go out of the door first. As I stepped through the doorway, I looked back at April and gave her a nod. She came forward and shut the door. I didn't move until I heard it lock, and then I turned to look at Trevino. Out in the corridor alone, he seemed far more menacing than he had before, though he was just standing in place. Make sure no one gets in there, I told him. Not even the captain. No one needs to go in there other than April. Trevino nodded, and I took that to be the only response he was going to give. Whether he was angry with me or something else was up, I didn't know, but I kept my grip on the pipe and backed away from him until I was far enough away that I knew he couldn't run up on me without me having time to react. Then I turned and started off towards the bridge. I found myself glancing indoors as I walked by them. I passed Ravino's quarters, and something caught my eye. It was a shape in the shadows, something that didn't look like the standard shipboard decoration. It was too bulky and long, sprawled across the floor. I stopped walking and looked in, the lights on my suit washing across the ground. The brown suit was laying on the floor, and it was very full. There was a deep, awful wound torn through the middle of the body, with rips so deep in the corpse that some of them had gouged into the metal beneath. The captain had seen Thomas dead by his cabin. Who was in the brown suit? I leaned in, pushing the body on its back, and reached out for the emergency helmet release. I couldn't leave this question unanswered. It took me a few moments to undo the safeties, popped the helmet, but finally, it rolled off and I found myself looking at Thomas. There was no mistaking him. 
This was Thomas. Thomas wasn't dead by his cabin. He couldn't be. Because he was dead here. What did this mean? My mind spun over the details, and then it all fell into place. I stumbled to my feet and turned back the way I'd come. I began to run. The captain hadn't seen Thomas. He was covering for Trevino, who had claimed to have never seen Thomas. Trevino had killed Thomas and the captain knew. Trevino had probably killed Isaac, and I'd left him there by the door to the engine room. He was protecting the locked door, the door that could only be opened by April or by the ship's captain with an override. I careened down the hallway, slamming into a wall as I turned a corner, and then I was within sight of the engine room. The door was open, light spilling out into the hallway and illuminating a figure in a black suit. The captain stood there looking back at me. Shadows flickered in the room off to the side. Terrible shadows, depicting something inhuman and awful. I could hear screaming. I'd mistaken it for the hum of the fusion reactor for just a moment, but I knew it was April. What are you? I asked in a shaky voice. It was clear these weren't people. Whatever these were, they hadn't come with a crew from the beginning. The gray suit stepped out next to the black. Whatever was hidden inside, all neatly tucked away once more. My fingers tightened on the pipe. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. I hope you enjoyed The Seventh Suit. As written by Heath Pfaff and performed by Lucas Webley, Eric Peabody, Heather Ordover, Paul J. McSorley, and Nick Goroff.
To find more from Heath Faff, visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash faff, spelled P-F-A-F-F, and you'll be redirected to his author profile on our horror fiction website, creepypastastories.com, where you'll find ways to follow him on his website, offoxesmind.com, as well as a link to his work on amazon.com. By clicking his Amazon link on that profile, a small portion of your purchase goes to us here at Chilling Tales, where we're proud Amazon affiliates to help make this show possible. Lucas Webley is a commercial and dramatic voice actor from Central England and host of the Simply Scary Podcast Network's Terror Under 10 podcast, in which he also performs lead on all featured stories. His work is featured in a number of video games, such as Atrocity from Cold Furnace Studios, Distant Kingdoms from Orthrus Studios, and Overload from Revival Productions. He also provides voices for animated projects, as well as narration for a number of educational YouTube channels, including Questin and Electric. If you enjoyed Mr. Peabody's performance, you can hear more of him on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, where he holds the second place championship title for 2019's Evil Idol competition. You'll also find more of his work on his website at www.vikingguitar.com. Voice actor and 2016 Evil Idol champion Nick Goroff's talents can be found on our very own Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, as well as on past episodes of the Simply Scary podcast. You can also join Nick on his YouTube channel, Wizard of Cause. If you do drop by, don't forget to let him know you heard him here on this show. Paul J. McSorley's talents can also be found on our very own Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel as well as episodes of the Simply Scary podcast. You can also find more of Paul's work by visiting Audible and checking out his many audiobooks. Just go to audible.com and type Paul J. McSorley into the search bar. That's Paul J. McSorley, M-C-S-O-R-L-E-Y. You'll be glad you did. And after dropping by, don't forget to let him know you heard him here on this show. Up next, we've got a second sinister story for you. As written by Kyle Harrison and performed by Jonathan West, Danielle Hewitt, and Justine Anastasia. In it, we'll be introduced to a second recon and recovery crew this time at a place called the Koturk Outpost. The team learns just how hard it is to fight an enemy invisible to the human eye. So join us, won't you? Lend us your time, mind, and ears as we accompany them on their perilous journey. Now, without further ado, I present to you That Abominable Sound. That Abominable Sound. By Kyle Harrison. I arrived at the Koterik outpost at approximately 1500 hours alongside two senior officers from HQ. We had been told nothing about the facility's state or its staff, simply that we had lost all communication with them about three days before our arrival. Russell, the head of our group, explained the situation as best as we understood it. There is room for 10 members here at the outpost, but I believe one group left about a month back, and now there are only four scientists left. I checked the list, knowing these were the people we were meant to interrogate to the best of our ability. Lucas Wharton, Chief Astrophysicist. Patrick Barnes, Chief Astronomer. Felicia Colt, Secondary Astronomer. Lily Chen, Chief Mathematician. Something had happened here at Koterik, and one of them had the answer. It was up to us 
to determine what. Russell led the way into the facility, instructing me to find the power box as soon as possible to restore electricity. I couldn't help but notice a strange red vine growing all across the once pristine tiles. How long have they been isolated here? I asked Myra, the other senior officer. Their mission's objective was to monitor the Halter Vine M30 burst for the past three months. But we don't know for sure when that was going to happen, to be honest. I didn't bother asking about the technical stuff. That wasn't my job. I was just here to find the truth. Going further into the facility, I noticed that some of the vines seemed rich with stains of blood, as though someone had died on this floor, and the plant life had swallowed them up and fed off their life source, the way an orchid would raindrops. Guys, I think you need to see this. I heard Myra shout down the corridor. Russell and I were there in a second, staring down at the half-decayed body of one of the scientists. What the fuck? I whispered. It looked like he had been wearing some type of protective suit that was customarily used for astronauts in space, and his entire upper body had been cut off in one single motion, the way a guillotine chops off a head. There was no sign of any further blood anywhere nearby. But then, we heard the sound of feet shuffling in the shadows. It was another crew member, this one wearing a red jumpsuit with Korean letters on the name badge. It was approaching us like a feral animal. As it got closer, I realized that instead of hands, long red tendrils shaped its upper body and distorted its skeletal structure, making the astronauts scuttle towards us like a crab. None of us had a clue how to respond, and for a moment, I was sure that we were about to be attacked as the strange human-like creature shrieked. It was a mixture of pain and anger. Then a shot rang out across the void, filling the creature's shadowy face with lead. It stumbled backward, shrieking again defiantly as we saw a black-haired Asian woman step out of the next room and blast it over and over until at last it crumpled over in agony. Thank the Lord, Russell began, but then the woman turned the weapon toward us. Her eyes were full of suspicion and fear, like she had just seen the worst nightmare of her entire life. Given what we just saw trying to attack us, I didn't doubt it. Who the hell are you? She asked us keeping her gun raised. Please, Lily, calm down. HQ sent us. Headquarters? That's a lie. They, they don't give a damn about us. The woman stuttered, trying to figure out how the hell we were there. Did she think we were figments of her imagination? We received Commander Willard's message 14 days ago, an SOS alerting us that your outpost required emergency supplies. Then we lost contact with you and your team three days ago. Russell paused and showed her the clip of Willard explaining how Team One was choosing to leave the facility and asked, Do you recall sending these messages? She looked at the commanding officer and then became frantic again, backing away and screaming, Turn it off! Turn it off now! Russell did as she requested, and all of us stood there in silence for a moment as we tried to determine what to do next. Lily, where are the other members of Team Two? Her eyes twitched as she tried to hold back tears. Dad, I... I killed them. Killed them? What happened here? It wasn't me! No, it was the noise. It got inside my head. I could feel those tentacles winding straight into my mind. It felt like it was going to explode, burst from the inside out. She was hardly cohesive or able to form a simple thought. I knew if we didn't act soon, 
She might decide to attack us, the same way she had her other crew members. Lily, we want to take you home. But first, we need to determine what happened here at Katurk. Let's get somewhere safe and then we can talk, hmm? But it was clear the woman wasn't going to just comply with what we wanted. Russell gave me the most imperceptible of nods to tackle her the next moment we got. When I saw her hesitate again, I rushed toward her and grabbed at her weapon. We struggled for a moment, both trying to overpower the other. Then the weapon went off by accident, and I heard Myra make a soft gurgling noise. Holy shit! Do you have a medkit? I asked as I pushed Lily away. I... I don't know. I didn't mean to. No. No, I did. It was the malevolence inside me, forcing me to. I can't stop it. I can't. She muttered as she dropped the weapon. Russell took the chance and pinned her to the wall, shouting to me to find a sedative. I scanned the facility and ran to another room for supplies. Climbing over more of the strange tentacled vines, I opened the cabinets and grabbed the syringe, freezing in place as I saw another dead colleague of hers, his entire body collapsing in on itself from the waist down. What the hell had happened here? I ran back to where Russell was doing his best to keep her still and plunged the needle into her neck as she continued to beg for us just to kill her. As much as I didn't trust her sanity, I knew we still needed to get clear answers. I checked on Myra next. She was saying a quiet prayer as she patched herself up. I'm fine. She got me in the ribs. I think I will be fine. She told me as I helped her to the next room. Russell instructed us to check the remainder of the facility to be sure that Lily was telling the truth. And take a sample of that monster, too. I'm suspicious of whether or not it might be connected to what happened to the crew. About 15 minutes later, we had set up the rec room to act as our interview booth for Lily, with her chained to one of the tables. She was still agitated and standoffish despite the sedation, so Russell decided to begin the questions with details about their research. Get her to talk about what interests her. He insisted as he began sampling the vines and the blood we had found throughout the outpost. Do we have to record this? It helps to keep everything from being jumbled for the record. Is this audio on a private frequency? It's not connected to any network. All right, good. That's good. Fine, we can begin. According to Commander Willard's notes, your team was researching a newly discovered fast radio burst. For the sake of clarity, can you explain what that is? A fast radio burst is a transient radio pulse of length ranging from a fraction of a millisecond to a few milliseconds, caused by some high-energy astrophysical process not yet understood. Or at least that's what we thought, anyway. The halter burst was not immediately a threat to us after all. A threat? We were trying to determine the regularity of the burst, to discover its source and comprehend what it was trying to say. Did you know that one such burst lasted for nearly 16 days, Doctor? 16 fucking days! So, there is a pattern to these bursts? Lucas was the first to theorize it was some kind of code. Coming from beyond the scope of the Milky Way, he believed it was an attempt by an alien life form trying to communicate with us. And so he made the fatal mistake that corrupted us all. Commander Willard noted that the source of the burst was likely coming from somewhere 3,000 million light years away. How could anything like that be a danger to humankind? We didn't see the pattern, or what it was doing to us at first. We didn't understand that the sound was infecting our minds. It was just research at first. But for Lucas and Patrick, it soon became an obsession to unlock what those alien messages were transmitting. So you started to record every burst from the halter source, 
What did you find? Lily began to laugh, nervously. <laughs> it was the sort of laugh that sounded like a woman had gone mad. She refused to continue questions for the time being, so I checked on the samples from the bodies we had found so far. This is both unsettling and remarkable. Russell explained as he passed me one of the tubes and a microscope to see for myself. This looks just like human blood. That's because it is. There is no mutation here. Just an evolution. Everything about that thing she killed is entirely human, down to the microscopic level. But how is that possible? What has Miss Chen told you? I glance back toward the rec room, feeling Lily's eyes burning on me. I don't think she's telling us the whole truth. But then again, I don't believe she trusts us. Big surprise. I don't trust her either. Myra said, walking into the room and waving what looked like a security tape. What's that? Recording of the past 24 hours. I was just reviewing part of the footage that wasn't corrupt. It looks like our friend in the red jumpsuit over there killed her crewmates one by one over the past few hours before we arrived. Jesus Christ. So then all of the crew had been mutated, or whatever, into those things. Not precisely. Maybe you should check it out yourself rather than me explaining it. I should get back to questioning her. We can't leave her alone for long. I can review that material. Perhaps discover at what point Officer Chen lost her sanity. When I returned to Chen, there was only one question on my mind. I figured we could kill two birds with one stone. Lily, can you tell me what went wrong during your research? Everything. But if you mean where it all started, I think it was about a week ago. Patrick and Felicia agreed to stay up all night and tried to decipher the burst. They figured a pattern had to be there and we could make a breakthrough. But then the next day, they still hadn't eaten, hadn't slept. They were acting like zombies. What did they find? It, it was that noise, that abominable sound. It was inside them already. The others didn't realize it, but it was corrupting them, changing their brainwaves, transforming them like tendrils spreading through their mind. They were becoming its first victims. The sound of the burst altered their molecules? That's how their body started to mutate? She was becoming angry again, her body flailing as she tried to break loose from the bonds Russell had put her in. You can't listen to it. It spreads now through all the noise. It's a sentient living sound that won't stop until it engulfs all of us. I saw Myra signal for me to come over to her, and I paused the interview to check out the security footage. I saw Lily immediately on camera, using what looked like a simple kitchen knife to protect herself from harm. Then Patrick came on screen, or whatever was left of him. His body was already undergoing strange changes, hardly able to function the way it normally would. His bones and skin distorted, like a burst of noise walking and crawling down the hall. Lily attacked him immediately as he got close stabbing him repeatedly until his monstrous body stopped quivering. It's exactly like she said. The crew mutated and she fought for her life. Keep watching. Lily pushed off Patrick's body and then crawled into the nearby air vent, perhaps as a hiding place from the other survivors. She watched two of her unidentifiable crewmates in another room, both of which were wearing blue jumpsuits and listening as they consulted among themselves about a possible suspect. No audio? I asked but I soon found that I didn't need any. As Chen stayed in the vent, I watched her body begin to shapeshift as well, 
Long, thin skin tendrils pushed from her hands and came out of the vent, grabbing a hold of the first crewmate and slamming them against the wall. Myra stopped the tape and remarked, There's more. But I figured that was enough for now. She's lying. She can control the mutation, and she doesn't want us to know. We attempted to consult with Russell about what to do. However, he was distracted listening to some of the audio recordings the crew had kept on the facility. It's just a bunch of noise, but it is so beautiful, he admitted as we arrived. I couldn't help but notice blood trickling from his ear. Are you okay? His eyes looked dilated for a moment, and he smiled. Oh, I'm fine. Of course, yes. Uh, what did you find? We showed him the tape, and he agreed that we needed to confront Lily about it. She may be human on the outside, but I think she is just pretending. Russell decided as we went back to the rec room, only to find our suspect was no longer there. Lock down the facility if you can, Russell told Myra as I rushed to check the current security feed. She couldn't have gone far, I told myself. As I entered the room, I felt a gun against my head and raised my hands defensively. Close the door. You don't want to do this, Officer Chen. We just want to help you. You can overcome this infection. She laughed again, but this time, it sounded like she was pitying me. <laughs> I have already done that without your help. I'm more than you will ever be. She shoved me against the control panel and I got a good look at her face. Already there were more distortions in her features, bursts of noise struggling to destroy what was left of her humanity. She was just a shell of her former self. Lily, you aren't well. The noise, it's, it's controlling you, forcing you to kill and destroy anything in its way. I knew some part of her former self was still in there, struggling to regain control. I may not look like the self you know, Doctor, but I can't lie to myself anymore. There is no escape from the noise. It's everywhere. Don't you see that? We have opened Pandora's box and released it into the world. It used me to lure you here for a reason. To spread beyond this facility and into the sounds of the world. Now your screams will be contagious. Your skin will be its host. I'm doing you a bloody favor by killing you now. Lily, fight this. I know you can. I reach behind me and search for something to protect myself with. And then I touch the fire alarms and instinctively pulled them, hoping to alert my colleagues. I immediately saw her human face melt away and tentacles burst from her skull. They were formed of membranes and bone and teeth, shrieking at a thousand decibels, hatred of a million stars, as they lunged for me. To my left, Russell entered and slammed the door against Lily, urging me to run. I leapt over her transforming body and didn't look back. The alarm got louder with each passing moment as the humanoid creature struggled to maintain form, to hide in Lily's body like a parasite. It wouldn't stop until it had killed her, and us, and was free, just like she had warned. It slammed Russell against the wall and swarmed down the hall like a blob, a mass of skin and tissue that shrieked of pain and evil, yellow and leaking bodily fluids of all kinds as it shed its human form and revealed the devilish abomination beneath. I collided with Myra in the electrical room and pushed her to the other side, the creature not hesitating to follow. Then we both pushed down on the kill switch and watched as the frayed wires caused the room to go up in flames. The strange noise that infected our colleagues from across the universe screamed 
as it tried to fight, but it had adapted too perfectly to Lily's human body. The fire was its undoing, and soon all that was left was a smoldering crispy heap of skin, muscle, bone, and decay. We concluded our investigation of the Koteric outpost at 1700 hours that same day, and reported to HQ we requested transport. We all agreed that we would not disclose the findings of the radio burst to anyone else. This was isolation and insanity. Nothing more, Russell told us. As part of our extraction, we did, however, determine to bring with us samples of the strange red plant that had grown during the team's time here. We believe it is somehow also a part of this strange transformation that the entire area went through after the transmission from the distant stars became sentient. At least the first team made it out safe, I told my colleagues as we boarded the helicopter to leave. I have been thinking about that, trying to figure it out. Why would this sound go through all this trouble to broadcast itself to escape this facility? Wasn't Team 1 already possible carriers? The second team must have realized there was a way to trigger the outbreak, to activate the latent infection and mutate their bodies. I surmised as we sat down, and I saw Russell itch at the back of his ear. I could see strange tendrils digging their way into the back of his earlobe, and Lily believed that the sound wanted us to come here, so it could infect us, hide in plain sight, and leave to find a new nest. I nervously said as I watched him closely, what do you think, Commander? Is there an imposter among us? <laughs> Russell's eyes dilated for a second, and he smiled softly. <laughs> I'm sure if there were, by now, it would probably be too late for the others. <laughs> I chuckled, albeit nervously, as we left the facility. And then as we lifted off, I heard this strange ringing in my ears. It was like a thousand screams in the night sky, vivid and deadly. Somehow I knew it was the same damned noise that had controlled the others. My god, it was inside me, that abominable, impossible sound, transforming me into a, a wicked little trickster, making me into the perfect liar. Russell shared a knowing look toward me, and I felt a shudder roll down my back. We knew. Before this flight was through, only one was going to survive. I hope you enjoyed That Abominable Sound, as written by Kyle Harrison and performed by voice actors Jonathan West. Danielle Hewitt, and Justine Anastasia. More of Jonathan West's performances can be found on our official YouTube channel. If you check him out, be sure to give his performances a thumbs up, leave a kind word, and tell him you heard him here on this program. 2019 Evil Idol finalist Danielle Hewitt's performances can also be found right here on our very own network, as well as on the SCP Archives, Creepy Podcast, and The Wicked Library. As a reminder, you can hear more of Justine Anastasia right here on our official YouTube channel. She is also written for the show, as well as being one of the judges for the 2019 Evil Idol voice acting competition. If you check her out, be sure to give her performances a thumbs up, leave her a kind word, and tell her you heard her here on this program, and that Steve sent you. It would mean a lot to me. 
And with that, listeners, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight's episode and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week, when once again, we turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. (laughs) Chilling Tales for Dark Nights The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.